Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from December 27th by Dr. Jeff Anderson titled The Seekers, The Seminarians, and The Pretenders. I think you probably heard this week on the news about the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. And um, because of our clouds, it was hard to see, but I saw a couple shots on the news of where these two planets kind of came together and everyone was wondering, is this the star of Bethlehem? And you know, it, it hadn't happened in like 800 years. And so there are a lot of questions and speculation about that. And I kind of felt as I uh, thought about preaching for Matthew chapter two today, that um, in a lot of ways, you're fighting the theology of Christmas cards and Christmas carols <laughs> in this story. And at the same time, though, you don't want to spend all your time doing battle with tradition where you uh, miss the main thing, which is the point of the passage. So hopefully we'll do a little bit of both today as we look at Matthew chapter 2 and what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, three of the characters in this story of the Magi or the wise men that came to visit Jesus. We're going to look at these visitors, these wise men, and look at Herod the Great. And then we're going to look at the uh, chief priests and the religious leaders that were a part of this scenario. So I'm calling this sermon The Seekers, the Seminarians, and the Pretenders. And we're going to try each one of these on for size, the seekers, the seminarians, and the pretenders. So let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in uh, verse 1 there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Lord, just speak to us today. Use your word to um, engage our hearts, not just our minds. Help us to give us now your answer, or our answer of yes, to what it is you want us to do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1 begins there, and it says, after he was born. Well, how long after? Well, the text gives us a few little clues we don't really know, but long enough to where in verse 11, it says that Jesus is now in a house, so he's staying in a home of some kind. Probably months, maybe even longer than that. We also know that the word that is used to describe him is not the Greek word technon, which means little baby, but the Greek word paidon, which means little kid, little child. So this is probably some time after Jesus' birth. So if in your mind you have the picture on the Christmas card of the wise men and the shepherds and everybody gathered around the nativity scene, probably not exactly the way that it happened. And it may have been that Jesus was as, as old as maybe two years old because Herod, that's where Herod drew the line as to when he was, how long he was going to allow these kids to be alive that he killed there in Bethlehem. So this was sometime after the event. A lot of translations struggle with what to call these guys. Uh, magoi is the, the word in Greek. Magi is the transliteration. A lot of translations, like my NIV, don't even translate it because of the problems with translation. Sometimes you've seen the words astrologers. Sometimes you've seen the words wise men. Sometimes you've seen the words astronomers. Even And all the translations kind of grapple with how to deal with this particular issue. But we'll just call them the wise men or the magi for the sake of argument here. The Greek historian Herodotus tells us that these magoi or magi were a priestly class that studied the movements of the stars. And they kind of drew conclusions on what was going on during the day as it related to the movements that they saw in these stars. And these, these magi were fond of subtlety, and they were, they were experts in their field, and so they could see any nuance or any issue in the stars uh, above them that they could, could kind of hone in on and focus in on of something new and something different that they could see. And this wasn't just something that they dreamed up. This whole region of the East had this long history of studying the stars and even earlier worshiping the stars. Now, the Persians at this time did not worship the stars. They were monotheists. But back earlier, the ancient Babylonians, they were astral worshipers. And they, they had studied the heavens for millennia not just for 20 or 30 years or just for a short amount of time. So they were in a long line of tradition of kind of the scientists of their day that would look at nature around them and study that and try and draw implications. Herodotus tells us that the Magi were not kings, so take that out of your Christmas card, you know, with the crowns that they wore and the royal garb, but they were king makers. They were individuals that would look at the stars and if they saw a comet falling down from the sky to the earth, that meant the demise of a king. If they saw a new star rising in the morning, perhaps that meant the birth of a king. 
So these were guys that were trying to figure things out and were trying to understand from what they observed around them what was going on. Now this was no small commitment for them, no small journey. This is an 800-mile trek that they took. And the Bible says here in these verses that their arrival in Jerusalem created no small stir. It says Herod was upset, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So that kind of tells you that it might not have been just three guys in this delegation. I know they had three gifts, but this created a big, big stir there with Herod and a big stir with all Jerusalem, the Bible says. So maybe we need to ditch the crowns, maybe ditch the turbans, ditch the number three, a few of these things. But let's realize that these individuals were coming to visit and to do more than that. One of the things that intrigues me is they made up their mind before they left that they were coming to worship Jesus. I don't think they stopped in Bethlehem at the store to look for gifts to buy on the day before their arrival like I did on Tuesday morning. In fact, I saw Matt there at the store doing, doing the same, same thing too, uh, uh, on um, Thursday morning. And um, so, you know, we all kind of do that. We put stuff off. These guys made up their mind. They told Herod, we have come to worship him, which is what really bothered Herod. So I'm kind of calling these guys the seekers. And I just want you to know today that we all come to God from starting in different places. And the, the shepherds, their journey was a pretty short journey. The wise men, they had a very long journey. And some of you, your journey to come to faith in Christ might have been a very short one. For me, for example, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't love Jesus. I can't even remember that. My journey was a very short one. But perhaps for you, your journey, you may still be on it. And you may still be searching. And you may still be trying to work through and come to understand some of these things that, that you're uncertain of. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have a student right now. I had all my students. He's an online student. I had everybody share their testimonies the first week of class. And he says uh, he's a master of Christian ministry major, and he's not a believer. He says, and I'm thinking, well, you're, you're majoring in Christian ministry and you're not a believer. He says, I'm kind of trying to figure things out. I'm trying to search and understand. And I thought, man, that's great. What a better place to do that than in a Christian classroom. So if your friends and your relatives don't get it, why you're kind of stuck and why you're having some struggle with issues, don't worry about that. Keep seeking. Keep looking. But remember that that intellectual pursuit alone is only going to take you so far. 
They don't go to Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem. It's the wrong place. Now, they're not off by much, especially after 800-mile distance, but they go to Jerusalem, and they check in with the king of the Jews, Herod, and it's the word of God that has to kind of set them straight so that they know where to, to go, and that's where we're going to look at next. But try this first hat on for size. Are you a seeker today, and are you trying to figure some things out? Um, just remember that these guys made up their minds before they got there what they were going to do. They were going to worship him. So in your search, keep that on the front burner of your life, but make up your mind ahead of time what you're going to do when you find out the direction that you might have from God. So in verse 2, they say, We saw his star when it rose. Made me think of Numbers chapter 24, 17. I don't know if they knew anything about the Bible back there in the land of the east, probably Iraq or Iran, uh, most likely Mount Modern Day Iran, where in Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Now, we know Jews were scattered all over the world because of the Assyrians and because of the Babylonians. Maybe they came in contact with some, some Jews where they were aware of this passage of Scripture. We simply do not know. So that's the first group. But it's this second group that I'm going to call the seminarians that really bothered me this week. The more I thought about it, the more I bothered the more it bothered me. I know I'm making kind of an argument from silence here, but it's strange to me what happens is that these wise men arrive in Jerusalem. They ask Herod what the hubbub is. Um, we've seen this guy's star, and we've come to worship him, and Herod is immediately on the defensive. We'll talk about him in just a, a moment. He'll be the easiest one to kind of draw some application from. We won't spend a lot of time with him. But what Herod does is he goes and he checks in with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he says, where, he checks in with the seminarians, right? <laughs> where is this person, this Messiah, supposed to be born? Where is this supposed to take place? And they go, ask us a difficult question. That's an easy one. Any first-year seminary student knows that Bethlehem is the place. Right? It's right there in Micah. Bethlehem is the place where this person is supposed to be born. And so what strikes me is that when it comes to those who visit Jesus, there's no seminarians there. There's just the wise men. Now, we know why Herod didn't go, because Herod, he's, he's out to kill Jesus in the first place. He just wants to pin down when it was that they first saw this sign in the sky. But I would think that if somebody came to me about a word of prophecy from the Lord, and I could pin that prophecy down to a specific, specific place, and... Um, 
Uh, these people say, hey, we're going to go and check and see if maybe this is the right time. You'd think there'd be some interest there on the part of the religious leaders to go and check this out. This may, this in fact was the biggest thing of their lifetime. And I know the text doesn't say that they weren't there, but it certainly doesn't say that they were. And I got to thinking about why it might have been that um, people who knew the Bible and knew God and knew God's word were unmoved by their own passages that they quoted. And all I had to do was look in the mirror. And so let me tell you a story of what might happen at my house. I know it would never happen at your house. I came and listened, you know, say, for instance, I come in and I listen to a great sermon and my wife, BJ, isn't there. And so I come back home. I said, man, you would have you would not believe the sermon I heard today. It was so great. And it was about this passage, and the pastor talked about this, and the pastor talked about that. And it was, it was fantastic, and it, it really spoke to me a lot. And so then my wife and her wisdom would say something like, well, okay, now, now what? And I go, what do you mean? Well, okay, you've heard this message. This, it obviously left a big impression on you. Now what? What? What's your life going to be like now as a result of that message? What's my answer? Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to change anything, right? I just thought it was a good sermon. I thought that he put together the text well, and he had a lot of good application, but change? Oh, no, uh-uh. I'm not going to change anything, actually, right? We do that every single Sunday, don't we? I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of you have probably had two inputs, two Bible studies, or two sermons a week or more for 20 years, right? You know, we as Baptists think that if we've had a study on it, we've done it, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I did that. You know, I spiritual gifts, yeah, 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 I've been through that. I had the little survey and everything. Experiencing God, yeah, I've been through that. Yeah, I've experienced God. Check, 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 check. Do we change? We don't. And I think we really, and I, I think we are the seminarians. We're the ones, a lot of you are Bible study teachers, small group leaders, worship leaders. You are you know the Word of God, and the, the old seminarian syndrome is that seminarians are so used to handling the things of God that they become mundane to them, and they lose their holiness. Where you're talking about God's Word, and you're hearing about God's Word all the time, and it, it loses its majesty. It loses the glory of God. So I don't, want, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but um, I think that we would be well served to learn a lesson. Now, it may have been as simple as 
these seminarians saying to themselves, you know, hey, we're the experts in the law. We're not going to listen to these guys from a thousand miles away. They're foreigners. They don't know anything about the Bible. They can go to Bethlehem if they want to. Yeah, we know that's where the Bible says that the fulfillment of this prophecy is going to take place, but we'll just kind of wait and see what's going on. Or it may have been that the chief priest said, you know, we got a busy weekend. The Shabbat is coming up. I'm doing the sacrifice on the morning sacrifice. I've got morning sacrifices all next week. I couldn't possibly get away to go to Bethlehem to check this out. Or the, uh, the teacher of the law says, you know, I got, I got two Bible studies to lead this week. I can't get away and go, go to Bethlehem. I'm a leading Bible study. And I thought, well, maybe how many of us, when a neighbor is in need, we skip the need because we got to go to church. Or we skip that ministry that is kind of nailed down to a specific time and place because we got a Bible study to go to or a Bible study to lead. So let's not be these kinds of seminarians. And the last one is Herod, verse 7 and 8. Herod is playing this game. He's acting like he's interested. He wants to know the exact day and time when they came across this new site in the heavens. And uh, he says, I want to go and worship him too. But what does he want? Yeah, he wants his power. He wants to eliminate any possible threat to his own kingship. What he sees happening here is, in fact, what historically did happen over the next 300 years once Christianity took hold. Is he sees the coming of the person of Jesus as a threat to his own autonomy and his own kingship. Herod was quite the guy. Herod uh, killed a lot of folks that were threats to him, including three of his sons, his wife, his mother-in-law, members of his own court, and all kinds of insurrectionists. The first thing he did after he married this Hasmonean Jewish woman was he had her brother, I mean her, yeah, her brother drown in his own, in Herod's swimming pool in Jericho to kind of get him out of the way. And then he had a few of his own kids killed to get them out of the way. And then his own wife, who came from a uh, royal line of the Jews, that was even a threat to him. So he had her killed. I remember reading a nice write-up in the National Geographic, I say nice write-up, a story in National Geographic about Herod's tomb that was discovered around 2005, 2010. And it lists all these things that Herod did, and then it says, now the Christmas story's different, probably this thing about Herod killing all the kids in um, Judea never really happened. Why? Because it's in the Bible. And we all know that you can't believe anything that is found in the Bible. I mean, it didn't say it that way, but it said all these other things happened, but Herod never did this thing that the Bible is talking about. I'm going, really? The Herod we know couldn't have pulled this off? Of course. 
That's what he did. The last thing he did was he ordered that on his death, his followers should kill hundreds of Jews so that everybody would mourn on his birthday, I mean his death day every year. So that year after year after year, people would look back and be sad, not for him, but for those he had killed. They didn't do that when he died, but that's what he asked for. He was so bad that Augustus, the Caesar, said, I would rather be Herod's hus than his huios. Hear the sound there? I would rather be Herod's hus, pig, than his huios, son. Because Herod, being a good Jewish guy or part Jewish, he would never touch a pig and eat a pig, but he would kill his own sons. So Herod is this pretender. He had absolutely no intention of submitting to Jesus, the king. And I was listening once to the uh, preacher, Alistair Begg, when he was talking about when people are confronted with God's sovereignty, that God is king and God is ultimate authority and God is completely sovereign, they usually have one of two reactions. One is to fall down on their knees and worship and say, God, you are Lord and I am not. But the other is the exact opposite, to get insanely angry over the fact that God is in control and that I am not. And how could God allow this to happen? And how could God do that? And how could a God allow these kinds of things to take place? Herod isn't the least bit interested in submitting to God. He's only concerned about his own life. Well, let's look at the, how this story wraps up. Verse 9 and 10. They go there. Uh, they go on their way. And then you have this unusual language. It says, The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So evidently, they must not have been seeing it all the time, but just some of the time. Last year, my oldest son, uh, he lives in California, and he took, they decided to go on a canoe ride. And they decided about noon, they wore nothing but their swimming trunks, got in this canoe, and they went down what's called the Russian River. Now, it's not like our Russian River. It's this long, circular river there in California. And uh, they figured they had about four river miles to go, and so they take off. No food, no water, they're just in their canoe. And my grandson, he's about eight. And so this four uh, miles of river was actually 12 miles of river. And so the last uh, few miles, the last two hours, were in pitch black darkness. Now, it wasn't cold, and their life wasn't in danger, but um, it was scary. Well, my grandson, he knew that if by looking out the front window of his house, he, he knew where the Big Dipper was at night. And the Big Dipper was always right above his neighbor's house. 
So he kept saying to his dad, he says, Dad, I know we're almost there. We're almost there because there's the Big Dipper, and it's right over our neighbor's house. It just can't be that far away because the Big Dipper is just right there over our neighbor's house. And so that kind of gave him encouragement, <laughs> and in a kind of a backhanded sort of way, gave my son encouragement as they made it through their, their long journey. And um, in your mind's eye, in my mind's eye, I kind of pictured this star with this super long tail going down right over Jesus' head with a little halo on top, Right? Probably not the way that it was. These astral experts were fond of subtlety. And even they themselves, that they probably saw something in the heavens that maybe no one else even saw. Because that's what they did. That's what they studied. In November 2020, astronomers discovered a brand new galaxy right in the middle of the Milky Way. Been there all this time. A fossil galaxy, they called it. Oh, you can't see it because you can't see it with the naked eye. Only experts can see it. And many of these experts did not see it for decades because it was hidden by interstellar dust. So they have this new contraption in uh, Apache Point, New Mexico. My wife's New Mexican. I asked if she knew where it was, and she had no idea. It's down by, I um, uh, can't remember the name of the town now, but uh, in the mountains there. And uh, this new telescope was able to kind of help astronomers see this particular galaxy, a huge galaxy, right in the middle of our own Milky Way. And there, there's a long article that talks about how they were able to put two and two together and what they looked at. But it's not just something you see with a naked eye and not even something you can see really clearly with infrared. It's all these other things that came together for these astronomers to be able to put two and two together. And that's the way I picture these wise men. It's them seeing something in the sky that maybe no one else saw because others weren't the experts. And yet that led them to the place where they saw Jesus' birth. Well, you know the end of the story, and we're not going to go into the detail of these gifts, but um, they worshipped. And they had made up their minds ahead of time that they were going to worship. So they brought their gifts of gold, incense, myrrh. And the early church father, Tertullian, says that their visit fulfilled Isaiah 60. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you and the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So let's try these three hats on for size one last time. The Magi, they were the seekers. Some of you, your journey to Christ was a short journey or is a short journey. Some of you are still on that journey. Be willing to follow through with that and to follow the Lord 
as he leads you. Some of you here today are the seminarians. You may be charmed by some of the stories in the Bible, but not changed by those stories. You may say, oh, this is really cool. This is what I learned in my Bible study this week. Okay, so now what? What are we going to do? How will our lives be different? Or perhaps we're like Herod, the pretender, who pretended to be interested in following Christ and worshiping him, but had absolutely no intention of doing so. May God um, bring us to that point in our lives where we'll follow, where we'll obey, where we'll truly worship him. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.